Hey church family, so good to be with you again on this Sunday. Hope you're all doing well and, and staying safe, but we're glad that you have chosen to join us together to worship God uh, together this morning. And certainly uh, being today what it is, we wanna wish all of our fathers a, a happy Father's Day. We are so blessed. I'm blessed by a, an amazing man in my life who I call father and uh, many other father figures in my life that have blessed my life. And I know many of you are as well. And so we want to take this uh, time to say thank you to our fathers for all that you do and, and for who you are and what you mean to each of us. I found uh, one father's take on uh, Father's Day that I thought was rather comical. Uh, here's what he said. He said, Father's Day is a day when we take time to thank our fathers for all that they do for us. Fathers make many sacrifices for their families, working hard to provide for them, and they rarely get even a thank you in return. Their traditional Father's Day gift is a tie, and that's a fitting symbol of the way that fathers are tied down by their families. After all, they could have been race car drivers and astronauts and secret agents that travel the world having awesome adventures, but instead they got tied down by fatherhood, and now they have to work boring jobs so they can feed whiny kids who don't appreciate them. So this year, get your dad the gift he really wants, a one-way bus ticket out of town and a card that says, follow your dreams. Now, obviously, that's meant to be satirical and in good fun, and hopefully none of you fathers actually do feel that way. But I do think he gets one part right, even if he exaggerates it a little bit, when he talks about what fathers have given up for the sake of their families. And one of the best definitions I've heard of a father is it's a man who carries pictures where his money used to be. And certainly that description fits many fathers who have exchanged their own personal wants and needs to give it up and sacrifice for the needs and wants of their families and those that they love. Now, I also recognize that not everyone had a dad like that. But whether you did or not, or do or not, I want you to know that in God, you do have a father, a heavenly father like that. In God, we have a father who has given up his precious son to die on a cross for the sake of adopting us as his sons and his daughters. And he longs for every one of our pictures to be in his wallet. And so today we're going to take a break from our Going Viral series, and we'll pick that back up next week. But this morning and today, I, I want us to look at probably some of the most familiar words in the Bible. They're found in Matthew chapter 6 in a section where Jesus is teaching his disciples and, and consequently us as well to pray, teaching them what, what it looks like to pray. The disciples come to him, what it, you know, Lord, teach us how to pray. And he says, okay, here's Here's how I want you to pray. And he, he teaches us to begin our prayer by saying these words, Our Father in heaven. Most, if not all of us, know that those are the beginning of the words that lead into what is often called the Lord's Prayer. Although truth be told, it really should be called the Disciples' Prayer because Jesus is teaching us how to pray and using this prayer. But today, in light of Father's Day, I want us to consider these opening words, not only from the perspective of what they teach us about prayer, but also what they teach us, uh, the perspective of what they teach us about God, our Heavenly Father. And so I think there are four realities, probably more than that, but I'm going to give you four realities when it comes to these opening words that I think we learn from these opening words. And the first is this, God desires to be our Father. 
God desires to be our Father. Now, for many of us, we're familiar enough with this idea of God as our Father that, that maybe we, we, we don't really appreciate the significance of Jesus asking those very first followers that he's teaching all the way back in Matthew chapter 6 to, to view God through the lens of their Father. But in Jesus' day, this was a radical and revolutionary idea. Now, the language that the Gospel of Matthew, the book of Matthew was written in, it was written in the Greek language, but the language that Jesus spoke was that of Aramaic. And in Aramaic, the equivalent of the term father was the word Abba. Abba was a, a term of endearment. It was a, a family word, a homely word, an everyday word that Middle Eastern children would use to address their fathers. In our language, it's probably most closely translated as dad or daddy. It's more than just a, a title that we ascribe to a man who has children. It, it signifies the close, intimate relationship that a father, a dad, has with his child, as well as the childlike trust that a young child has with his, his dad, his daddy. Now, just to be clear, the, the, the thought of God as father, this idea of God as father, was, was not altogether new. God had claimed Israel as his son, as Exodus chapter 4 talks about, and he had loved Israel as his child, as Jeremiah and Hosea talk about. But, but in reality, no Jew would ever really dare to address God in such an informal way as what Jesus is presenting here. In fact, in the entire Old Testament, God is only referred to as Father a mere 15 times. That's the entire Old Testament. And yet Jesus comes along, and in the Sermon on the Mount alone, in which this prayer uh, occurs, in which we find this prayer, in the Sermon on the Mount alone, Jesus refers to God as Father 17 times. In the Gospel of John, Jesus addresses God as Father over 100 times. And in all four of the Gospels combined, Jesus addresses God as Father over 165 times. But the kicker is, is that in this prayer, not only does Jesus refer to God as Father, but he also encourages us as his followers to address God and to approach God as Father. And that was a radical idea. You know, God is described and referred to by many different names and titles throughout Scripture. But of all the names and titles, the one that Jesus encourages us to call him here is the most intimate title of all, Father, Dad. And the fact that he instructs us to refer to God in this way when he teaches us how to pray should tell us something about God's desire for us to recognize him as Father, that he desires to live in an intimate relationship with each of us. As many of you know, adoption is something that's very near and dear to, to the hearts of, of my wife and I and our family. Now, certainly there is an incredible amount of, of mystery and wonder and amazement that can be seen through having children biologically. But I believe that there is, there's just something profoundly unique and powerful that we can learn about God through the wonder of adoption. Now, I know that there are plenty of biological parents who who know the emotions of longing to have children, who know the pain of, uh, of dealing with problems with infertility. 
But in a lot of cases, getting pregnant and having children can come fairly easily for a lot of people. Now, just to be clear, I'm not talking about the labor and delivery part. So please, moms and, and ladies, don't, don't kill me on that. But, but a lot of couples decide, and I don't mean to be insensitive about this, but a lot of couples ha- decide to have children and they get pregnant and have children. And in some cases, people have children without ever really making a, a, a concerted and, and thoughtful choice about having children. They just get pregnant. There are plenty of unplanned pregnancies in our world. But have you ever heard of an unplanned adoption? And those who have adopted have a unique appreciation of the nature of God's love and passion when it comes to being a dad, when it comes to being our father and adopting us as his children. And whether you go to the other side of the world, to Vietnam or or down to Texas as we did in, in, in our children's cases, or whether you go to the other side of the state or side of the state or the other side of, of, the, of the city, you have to spend time and energy and resources and, and, and planning goes into the adoption and, and completing the adoption. There's so much time and energy and resources that go into the whole process, all in the name of pursuing a child that has a less than ideal past and a future that let's just face it, may be up for grabs. And I think that those who have gone through the the process of adoption have a unique perspective. I'm not saying better, I'm just saying unique perspective when it comes to understanding God's passion for being a father and for adopting us as his children because that's exactly what God desires to do for every single person on the face of the earth. And the Bible speaks to this idea that adoption truly does convey the heart of God and the nature of God. And and it paints a beautiful picture of really what is the story of the gospel itself. And speaking of adoption and the story of the gospel, that leads me to a second reality. Our opportunity opportunity to be adopted as God's sons and daughters is made possible through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one, the only one, who makes it possible for you and I to be adopted as God's sons and daughters. It's incredibly significant that it's Jesus who is telling us to call God Father because that title of Father expresses the most important reason that Jesus came to this earth. He came to establish that kind of relationship with the creator of the universe and us as his creation, as human beings. In John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, it says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 4, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Literally, that he might adopt us as his sons and daughters. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. And Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 1, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. And then he writes this in Romans chapter 8, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we 
are God's children. And so when Jesus teaches us to pray, he begins by telling us to address God as Father because it expresses the essence of the relationship that he came to establish. He came to make it possible for God to be our Father and to adopt us as his children. In fact, he's the only way possible for that to happen. Jesus says of himself in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Paul says this in Galatians chapter 3, for you, all, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. It is through Christ that we find the pan, plan and the path and the payment for our adoption as God's sons and daughters. And there's no better way to acknowledge God as our Father than to receive His Son. Now, there are some who might say, well, why does it have to be this way? Aren't we all God's children? And and in a sense, yes, we are all God's children because we are all God's creation. And in that sense, God is the father of all of us. He's the father of all mankind. But but I think we all realize that that you can be a father biologically, but it's a whole nother level and dimension when it comes to being a father relationally. And God says, yes, I'm, I'm the father of mankind, but I want to be your father. I want to be your dad relationally. But there's been a wedge between you and me because of sin. And so Jesus, I sent my own son and through him, I, I've carved out a plan and a path and a payment for your adoption as my sons and my daughter's. And so truly being a child of God and being able to truly call him Abba, Father, that's a a relationship that's only possible through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, having said that, even when we choose to follow Jesus and we're adopted into God's family, that doesn't mean that everything's just going to work out perfectly and it's all going to go smoothly and, and our lives will just you know, be a bed of roses and we won't have to worry about any kind of struggles or pain or conflict and there won't be any more bumps in the road. That, that's, that's just not the reality. And that brings me to another reality, the third reality we find in Jesus's words in Matthew chapter six. And it's this, that our rea- the reality is that our father has a perspective that's out of this world. He's our father in heaven, right? He sees things from a different perspective than we do. And when we say that he's our father in heaven, heaven, we're confessing that there's more to this world that we live in than just what meets the eye or just what we see with our own two eyes, that there is a spiritual and an eternal and heavenly dimension. You know, so often we tend to evaluate our needs and our well-being primarily from a physical and circumstantial perspective. You know, what are my circumstances? What's happening to me? What am I going through? What can I feel, taste, touch, hear, but God views things and evaluates my needs and my well-being primarily from a spiritual perspective. And so when we pray our Father in heaven, we're acknowledging a couple of things. First, we're acknowledging that, that he has power over it all. I mean, he's our Father in heaven. He's the creator of the universe. He is over it all. But we're also acknowledging that he makes decisions in regard to you and me from his vantage point, not from ours. And his vantage point is a heavenly and a spiritual 
vantage point. Now, let me also say, because I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying, let me also say that that doesn't mean that we shouldn't ask God to work on behalf of our, our physical and circumstantial situations and well-being. After all, just a few verses later, Jesus calls us to, to, to be able, to, invites us to be able to come before God and ask for our daily bread and to, to, to trust that God is going to provide and, and, and that his provision is real and it's, it's, you can trust in that provision. Now, will, will God intervene and, and do everything in the way that we want him to and in the exact time frame that we want him to? No. Sometimes he will, sometimes he won't. But is it okay to ask for God's help and intervention when we're going through struggles and, and to ask for his intervention in those circumstances that, that we face and the, the struggles that we endure and uh, you know, to ask for his providence to be real in our lives? Absolutely. Jesus invites us to ask for those things. But even when God doesn't answer according to the way that we want him to, because sometimes he will and sometimes he won't, but even when he doesn't, can we still count on him to be at work for the sake of our spiritual well-being? Absolutely. Each and every day we can count on that reality. As Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now that verse doesn't say that God works everything the way we think he should or the way we want him to, nor does it say that God causes everything, but it says that God works in everything. And ultimately, he will bring good out of everything. It doesn't mean that it's good, but that he will bring good out of everything in the lives of those who love him. And the good that Paul speaks of is more than just our circumstantial or our physical good and well-being. Most importantly, it's for our spiritual and our eternal good and well-being. Our Father has a perspective that is out of this world. And it's that understanding that helps us, even in the midst of our struggles and our trials, even when we can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, to know that our God, our Father, our Dad, has a greater plan for our lives. As one man once said, when you can't trace God's hand, you can trust his heart. And then finally, a fourth reality we see in those words, our Father in heaven is this, we weren't meant to go it alone. You weren't meant to go it alone. I mean, what's the very first word that Jesus says? Our, right? Our Father in heaven. You see, while faith, your faith should be personal, it's not meant to be private. And with adoption comes a place in the family and to say those words, our father in heaven is to confess and to be reminded that we're not alone in this journey through life as God's sons or daughters. We're meant to be in this thing together. And in fact, on this Father's Day, I hope that you're, you're, you're not just thinking about your earthly family and who you're connected to physically and in that way, but I hope that you're also thinking about your spiritual family, your eternal family and who it is that you're spiritually connected to. Because as God's children, we are all brothers and sisters in him. You and I weren't meant to go it alone. And Jesus has come to make it possible, not just for you and me to find our place as the adopted son or daughter of God, but also for you and me to find our place in his family together.
with each other. You know, we've been incredibly blessed in this church, are and have been, to have not only so many godly fathers, but also just so many godly men. And I'm so thankful to each and every one of you for the example that you set, the men that you are, the example that you set of what it means to be a a godly man, a godly husband, a godly father. I can't say thank you enough, and I'm thankful for my own father, but I'm so thankful for so many of you and the impact that you've made on my life. And I know many of you are thankful for the fathers that you have in your life and the impact they've made on your life and what you have done for each of us. But most importantly today, and each and every day, may we celebrate and give thanks to our Heavenly Father for all that He's done for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so today, if you've never trusted in Jesus as the path and the plan and the payment for your adoption into God's family, I hope that you'll make that decision today to give your life to Jesus Christ and to be buried with him in baptism. Or maybe you've already made that decision. What better time than today, right now, than just to stop and to say, thank you, God. Thank you, Father, for all that you've done for me. Or maybe you just need prayers and encouragement to help you trust him more as your Father. Wherever you are, I hope that you come before him today as you are, because he desires to be your father. As we close our time, I just want to close with these words from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and this is from the message translation. Here's what Paul writes. God himself put it this way. I'll live in them, move into them. I'll be their God and they'll be my people. So leave the corruption and compromise, leave it for good. Don't link up with those who will pollute you. I want you all for myself. I'll be a father to you, and you'll be sons and daughters to me. With promises like this to pull us on, dear friends, let's make a clean break with everything that defiles or distracts us, both within and without. Let's make our entire lives fit and holy temples for the worship of God.